Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so grateful that you have taken time out to be with us on this Friday morning. Thank you so much, everybody. It's Friday. We have an interesting topic to talk about today, and one in which I think a lot of people can relate to. And so I wanted to take time out. It's it's just one of those things, right? <laughs> Isn't it something? Uh, so this came to my attention, and I thought I should talk about it and share it with those of you who are like myself, who are writers. And uh, I wanted to talk about the inequities that exist in, in the writing community. And it's not just writing. It, it seems as if racism is so pervasive that it is almost impossible to avoid the areas in which racism happens. And I thought I would take some time out this morning to talk about it because it's something that we all need to relate to. It's something that we all need to talk about. It's, it's, it's not by happenstance. It's something that we really need to focus on. So if you're just joining me, uh, my name is Harriet Kamak. And let me introduce myself again. I'm an author. I have written and published three books. Visions in 2004, Musings of the Spirit in 2009, and Through the Fire in 2011. You may not have ever heard about me because I'm one of the many faceless and voiceless black writers who live in America. We live and work in America. We're talented, have written books, have published books, but you've never heard about us. You've never seen us anywhere. You have never uh, talked about or heard anyone uh, talk about us. And one of the th- one of the ways in which that happens is because we are unseen. It's almost as if we're unseen. We're the unseen voices. We're the unseen literary community. So often when you look at television, the, the writers who are interviewed are often white. Very rarely do you see writers who are black, who are Hispanic, or who are Asian, or you don't even think those people write. So the general public associates writing that it is the confines of only the few. It is the confines of an intellectual elite who happen to be either journalists, who come from famous families, or who somehow struck gold and who end up being just published. So their works are featured on television. Their works become major manuscripts. And, and we can talk about this in, in, in so many ways. There are so many examples of how unfavorable the, uh, the atmosphere and how unfavorable the writing public is towards people of color. And I wanted to talk about black women writers today because I'm one of them. You've never heard of me. You've never seen me on CNN or ABC or Fox or whatever other mainstream media. You've never seen me written off in the New York Times or in the Washington Post or in the Chicago Sun or in the Chicago Tribune or in the Detroit Free Press. You've never seen me because it's almost as if I don't exist. It it is amazing to me as I go throughout the state of Michigan and talk about people and people are like, wow, you have actually published three books. This is coming from white people. They're like, they hold you in such high esteem to think that these books existed and they never knew. It's amazing to me how people will pick up a copy of my book, read the first page and say, oh my God, this could have helped me a long time ago. I needed to read this. 
your works are timeless. Do you see what I mean? And I wanted to, to emphasize how unfair this is because it is unfair. But I also wanted to emphasize it because I feel that people need to know. I'm talking about black women writers, the voiceless, unseen writers of America who are not lauded by mainstream media, whom you don't know exist, who often have to publish their own works and whose works are lost to history because of the endemic institutionalized racism that exists even within writing community, even within the writing community. It's amazing to me, for instance, how somebody named Anonymous can get a book published that is talking about the current administration. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how somebody can go write a book about Donald Trump and because of his lever his access, he could leverage his his access to the media and he's on every network, sold four hundred thousand copies because he had access. And everybody else who writes a book is sitting back like, Are you kidding me? Even on my Twitter feed years ago when I first started on Twitter, I joined writing communities. And it was amazing to me how many writers were out there who have written great stories. I used to go on my Kindle. Everybody remembers Kindle? I used to go on my Kindle and just search for writers and just download copies of their books just to support them because I know what that means to a writer. When you see someone else buy your work, it encourages you. And many black women writers have been lost because of that, because they feel as if I don't know what happened. They're discouraged. There's one woman right here in Detroit, Sylvia Hubbard. She still has a full-time job. Just recently, she put out on LinkedIn that her, uh, one of her books became a bestseller on Amazon, probably meaning she doesn't get as much royalties for her to live off. She has written about 13 books. You've never heard of her. She writes black erotica. You've never heard of her but she exists, voiceless and faceless. This is what we refer to as institutionalized endemic racism. And it makes some people uncomfortable. And it is going to make you uncomfortable because none of us like to see how badly we treat others being reflected on someone else's face. We like to think that it doesn't happen or it, it, it really isn't a thing, but it does. So I'm going to tell you about somebody whom you probably have heard of. Her name is Zora Neale Hurston. Years ago when I lived in Central Florida, every year in, in Altamont Springs, Florida, they would have a festival. And at that festival, they featured, that was the first time I became aware of her. Her works were featured. This was in 1998, 1999, 2000. The first time was about 1998. The first festival I went to was in 19, the spring of 1997. I was shocked to discover that she was a black woman writer and whom I had never heard of. She wasn't mainstream. She wasn't uh, all over the place. They were just learning of her, and it was almost as if, uh, what is going on here? Well, I found out recently that her... Uh, she lost, she had written a book in 1931 that was recently just found in 2018. Now, Zora Neale Zora Hurston has been dead for a long, long time. While she was alive and writing books, no one heard of her. There are very few exceptions to that rule. Maya Angelou wrote books for years. She was first publicly recognized when she turned 50. She'd been writing books years before that. Toni Morrison who passed away recently, has been writing books for a long time and just recently came to the forefront. What is it about, what is it that contributes to this? Now, uh, my daughter, Alexandra, is a writer. I think she's sitting behind me. Are you still here in the room? Welcome, everybody say hey to Alexandra. And Alexandra is a writer. She's a lawyer and a writer. Imagine that. But she writes poetry. For years, she's been editing my books, and she wrote a poem. She wrote a book of poetry back in 2017, 2017 and published her first work. And 
she got nothing. Not from the people who knew her, not from anyone around her. It was as if she never, she doesn't exist. And she's written books. So she wrote a story about Zora Neale Hurston and why black women writers are not featured. And I think I want to read that story. You might, my screen might go blank for a second. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think I want to read it. I can't read it from this, this tablet here, but I think erased from history. Is this it right here? So here is what Alexandra wrote about it. Uh, of course, let me give you some perspective. Zora Neale Hurston was an African-American author, anthropologist, and filmmaker who portrayed racial struggles in the early 20th century American South, right? She's known for writing a 1937 novel. Gee, everybody, I don't want anybody to read about me 100 years from now. <laughs> and that's when my, I would become famous when I'm no longer here. That's crazy, right? And... She wrote a book called Barracoon. It's a nonfiction work based on her interviews with, with, with the, uh, the last living survivor of the Middle Passage. And he came aboard a slave ship that crossed the Atlantic. And this book was written in 1937. Can you imagine if African Americans had access to that knowledge in the 1950s and the 1960s and the 1970s? This book was not published until 2018. When she tried to get it published in the 1930s, the manuscript was rejected uh, because it was written in a vernacular that they thought only African people could read, right? But it was known to many scholars. So it's not like she was known. The manuscript existed. They knew it existed, but they didn't talk about it, right? Uh, it remained in the Allen Locke collection for a while at Howard University for over half a century. My goodness. So here's what Alexandra wrote. She says she chose to write about it because it mirrors the classist, racist, and misogynistic struggles that many black women writers face today. And that is the thing that I want to focus on. And I'm going to coin her words, the classist, racist, and misogynistic struggles. I have found that as a black woman writer, one of the things that I have found is that as a black woman writer, when I'm first, when I was first introduced here in my own community in Detroit, the pushback that I got from black males who acted as if I was a come around, you know, like you didn't just write a book or three books, you're nothing. They, it, it wasn't celebrated, it wasn't even treated as if it were a part of an intellectual work. It's almost as if I had written a book on com It would have been better if I had written a book on comics. And I'll tell you how serious it is. Recently, I spoke to someone, and when I mentioned something to him, and he dismissed the fact that I was a writer, what he focused on is how much money are you making right now? I kid you not. I kid you not. And it mirrors the classic, the misogynistic attitude. So I told him that, you know, I had moved my podcast to a different platform and so on. You know what was the first thing he asked? What did you talk about? So to prove my point, I said, oh, you know, yesterday I talked about sex tourism. Guess what? He actually went and listened to that one because he has put me in a category that as a woman, the only thing I can talk about is sex. And as a man, he probably is just curious about my views on sex. Are you digging this, right? So what I'm saying is, what I'm finding is that people, what I'm finding is that people, the pushback, they, when you refer to misogynistic attitudes, it's almost as if the resentment against women and the resentment against black women from other parts of the society, but also from black men, contributes to the malaise that black women writers experience. Think about it. You've, heard, you've all heard of Jill Scott, but how many Jill Scotts do you think exist out there? Have you ever been to a spoken word poetry session? 
those are talented and gifted black women writers. How many of them get the exposure that they should? Think about it. I mean, we haven't had one since Stella got her groove back. I can't what, what's the name of the writer who wrote that, right? I think she's actually from Michigan. But have you heard of anybody else? How many black women writers have crossed the forefront? But every day you see a white male on TV promoting a book, and he's being treated as if the, his very words are edicts and his very words come straight down from Jehovah off the mountain, like God came off the mountain and spoke to him. Why are black women writers not treated in the same way? The lack of respect, the lack of appreciation for the gift, the lack of appreciation for the talent. I kid you not. Racist in the sense that it's almost as if a black woman does not, is not capable of producing any kind of intellectual work. She's not capable of thinking in complete sentences. She's not able of speaking and espousing her ideas in complete sentences that will make constructive sense. Racism. And, of course, classism. Well, how many black women writers are you seeing at the upper echelon of society? When you go to uh, functions, how many black women do you see in those rarefied spaces? Think about it. And what are their positions if they're there? But you see white women from all sectors, from all parts of the society, regardless of what they do, regardless of how much education they have. A friend of mine has a doctoral degree, so she wrote a book, right? And I'm like, good for you. But do you have to have a doctoral degree to write a book? How many white writers are out there who didn't even go to college? I don't think Mark Twain went to college, but look, Almost 200 years later, we're still talking about Mark Twain. Think about it. Why are black women writers treated? It's racism. It's classism. And this is misogyny, the hatred of women and the hatred. We need to coin a word, perhaps, for the hatred of black women. Black women are left behind, are mistreated in the society, right? We're at the lowest part of the totem pole. Everybody else is above. Everybody else comes first except the black woman. Yet the black woman is vilified in media and is presented as the very, uh, as the very <laughs> uh, cornerstone what is wrong with the American society. I kid you not. And you know what is the craziest thing is that as I look around the world, it's not just here in America. It's everywhere else. And there's, if you look through your Instagram feed, through your Facebook feed, and through your Twitter feed, you'll find that there's a whole community of black writers. There's the one called Obawa Urban Black uh, Writers Association. They've been around for about 10 years now. I was first featured on them when they started way back in 2010-2011. They've now mushroomed and grown by strength because of black writers who felt they were not getting the media exposure that they should get. When I published my second book, Musings of the Spirit, I sent out a press release to the media here. It's like I don't exist. I published my third book, not a bite. In fact, a few years ago, I tried to get on one of the local TV channels and the producer who was black told me frankly that they're not interested because you're not white. They want to see white faces in, 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 in media spaces. And this is why black women writers are not getting the recognition and the financial support that they need that would drive sales of their works. I imagine that if I were to talk to black artists who are painters, right? Black artists who are artists who paint whether they paint on acrylics or whether they paint on oils or whether they just use charcoal, right? I imagine that I'm going to get the same kind of answer. What we see is if it is not entertaining that makes everybody jump up and feel a low, low, and you can, sometimes I think they're making fun of hip hop artists. I think they use black culture as entertainment only. So it's viewed only as entertainment, something that makes me laugh or something that tickles my fancy. And so there's no seriousness attached to it. I, for instance, I write biographical and inspirational work. I'm also, I also write fiction. But you never heard of me. 
this is perhaps the first time that most people are, it, it, I, I kid you not, when I first started, I would never go out and introduce myself as an author because there was no appreciation from the culture. I, I was in a large church where there were 4,000 people. I thought I could get a thousand books sold and that would start a viral campaign. You would be surprised how people walked right past like nothing happened. So that's one thing. But the res- there was no apportioning of respect. There was no respect. There was no appreciation for the art form that is writing. It's almost as if if you're, go- if you're black, the only thing you can do is roll a ball. If you can play a ball and run across a court or run across a playing field, then that's all right. If you can gyrate with a microphone and use curse words and describe black women in the worst possible way, then that's okay. We'll support that. The denigration of black women, oh, yeah, we're going to buy that music and play that and call her B and whore and all kinds of stuff. We're going to contribute to that because that's what we want, the denigration of black women. But if black women are going to sit down and write works and do films that portray what really happens in the black community, we're all not single mothers. We're all not on welfare. We're all not just hanging out on the corner with a crack pipe and raising children who are crack prone and having children who are uh, uh, carrying on with stuff. We're all not just doing that. We're actually contributing members of the society, living in our own enclaves, doing stuff that is contributing to stuff. Let me see who is talking. Hi, Raven. Uh, Morning. How are you? Right? Uh, You're saying that you don't like you don't like rap and you're listening. Thanks for listening. Right? So we have to look at this with the, so I'm putting this in context because for most of you, you've never, you've never heard or you've never thought about this. How many of you, if you're white, raise your hands. I can't see you, but if you're white, raise your hands. How many of you know an author whom you know of in your hometown, in your circle, on your Facebook or Twitter feed? Do you support them? Probably. How many of you know an artist who is white? You're white. You know an artist who is white. On your Twitter feed, do you support their works? Do you go to their gallery? Do you buy their paintings? You see what I mean? Okay. So it's a cultural thing because you're like, I don't think a black person I I can identify with a black artist. But you listen to hip-hop all day. You download rap music all day. Listen to what you're listening to. The people who are promoting that kind of thing are white. They're contributing to the denigration of black women. That's the messaging that they want you to perceive of women who look like me and sound like me. They want you to think that we all hang out on the crack pipe and gyrate to music all day long and we all, we're not married. We never got married. We're just baby mamas forever and we just exist smoking drinking what's the thing molly or whatever the stuff is that's the messaging they want you to think right they don't want you to think that we actually sit down and intellectualize they don't want you to think we contribute or come you know conform to copyright laws my daughter for instance is 27 my daughter has been writing poems from she was a young child. I think I still have it saved on one of my computers somewhere, right? She's also a lawyer. You've never heard of her. Her name is Alexandra McLennan. Her book is, uh, what, what, the book is called Brown Sugar? I Dream of Sugar, right? And every time I see the cover of the book, I just want to grab it and just go eat some brown sugar because it just looks so good. That's her book. She published it herself while she was in law school in her first year of law school, her second year of law school. Okay, thank you for reminding me, right? So while she was studying to be a lawyer, she had already achieved a bachelor's degree. She was pursuing an advanced degree. She wrote this book and published it. If that were a white person who did that, my goodness, you would have thought she was the second coming of the Messiah. She would have been lauded from the top of the cable bars. I mean, look at this. I am beginning to get sick and tired of the media focusing only on what white people do and white kids do. 
They never seem to focus on what the other parts of the country do. There was, I saw a story months ago about an Indian kid who, out in Texas, she was like 10 or 12 years old who code, she writes computer code. Imagine that. Why didn't that sit in the mainstream? But if a little white boy or a little white girl just run across somewhere, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We've got to stop that America. America, we're not white anymore. We're mixed. We're all mixed. Get with the program and get over it. Because this, it's not fair. And not only is it not fair, I'm not even talking about fair or anything. It is sickening and disgusting. The attitudes that exist, the misogyny that exists towards black women, you're only good for a big butt. You're only good to have big butt, and you're only supposed to bow down before me because that's all you're good for. That needs to stop. Don't even come at me with stuff like that or my girls with stuff like that. But these are the attitudes, and I am saying it across the board. I am an author. I get no respect from my own community because my own community comprised of black people have not been taught or socialized to respect the intellectual works of black writers. Hence, that's why Zora Neale Hurston's 1937 book was not published until 2018. Do you see what I'm saying? You ha- it's, almost as if, it's almost as if, as an artist, you have to die for you to achieve some sort of recognition. That these are things that we need to stop. So I w- I'm going to read to you what Alexandra wrote in her blog about this. Erased from history, black women writers face today the racist and misogynistic struggles, right? Listen to this. She also says, uh, despite the untold necessity and meaningful representation of Zora's methodical fieldwork in interviewing the subject, it took 85 years for the book to see the light of day. And she asked this rhetorically. How many writers today, whether they're classically trained cultural anthropologists as Zora was, or whether they exist simply as some kind of afterthought minority, it, that is exactly, that captures the exact sentiment. We are an afterthought minority. How many women of color writers face the uphill battle of having a transformative story to tell or groundbreaking insight into a field of life. Oh my goodness, I want to cry. Misunderstood by the majority, but instead of being given a platform, their stories are left to languish untold for decades. How much longer must these stories and their authors remain quieted? So we spend a lot of time focused on the violence in Chicago because that's how the mirroring of black Americans are supposed to be depicted. We spend a lot of time focusing on the troubles of the, the young D'Antonio who was accused of sexual assault, the, the football player. We spend a lot of time looking at domestic violence in the NFL by black players, but we never talk about the white players who are accused of the same thing because those stories are squashed. But what we don't do, we don't focus on the positives. Black women writers, as the writer in this says, are left to languish as an afterthought minority. Do I sound like I'm pissed? Heck, yes. Who the hell are you to think of me as an afterthought minority? I guarantee you when my parents were making me, they were not thinking of me as an afterthought. So bully to you to think like that, because I, what I think of you is that you're an afterthought. And this is the thing, it, 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 yesterday I was on Twitter talking about freelancing in a gig economy and how black students face this uphill struggle of graduating from college with advanced degrees and still not getting work. And somebody actually accused me of being transgender. Do I look transgender to you? Do I look like I'm genderless? I want to know. Then they also accused me. That, you know what he said? He said, it's your attitude that makes you unemployable. I was like, that is exactly what we're saying. The fact that I choose to speak up about the inequities that exist in the system and the obvious racism that exists 
you start telling me I have an attitude. That's code word we refer to it as. That's codifying behavior that is now saying that because she's black, she is violent. Because he's black, he's violent. That's all they know is hate and violence. I told you this was going to make you uncomfortable, but sometimes we have to become uncomfortable because we must face the truth of our existence, right? We must face what it is that we are doing. And the truth of the matter is that if we don't, if we, if we don't face it, what we are doing is creating a scenario where the next generation, what are they going to do? It amazes me. I kid you not. It amazes me that when I go out in the public and I bring my books, these posters that you're seeing behind, these weren't made yesterday. Uh, that one over there was made from 2011. The other one was made from 2009. I've been lugging these around from 2009. I refuse to sell my books out of the trunk of a car. They're on Amazon.com. Respect me. Go to Amazon.com and buy my books. I have a profile page on Google. When you go to Google and put my name in Google, I am verified on Google. Why? Google reached out to me. They said, you need to be verified. Do you want to be verified? We can, we can send us the proof that you are really you because we know that people are looking for you. Uh, send us the proof. So I refuse now. I am not some artist that just dropped off a planet or dropped off a street. Respect the work. It's the same thing for the black women writers. Respect their art. Respect their contribution to the culture. Right? Respect the fact that they are contributing to the culture. Respect the fact that they're doing great work. There are so many black women who are writers. They are professors. You know one of the things that has come to my attention? It's how many black women who are professors who, are, who have doctoral degrees, but who are, in fact, just adjunct professors. They're not tenured. And you'll find a white girl who just barely has a master's degree with far less experience, but she's a tenured professor. And the black woman who has advanced degrees, notice I say advanced degrees, who is still sitting there and is just an adjunct professor. What's the difference? The adjunct professor gets paid barely 30000 a year, but the tenured professor gets all the benefits. This is the institutionalized racism that expands across all corridors of the society. It's not just in, in economics. It's not just in the workplace. It's even in the cultural aspects. It's in the cultural arenas. It, it, for you to succeed as an artist, you have to be so way out there. You have to take all your clothes off. You have to have a blunt or have a, a, a weed stack in your mouth. You have to refer to women as if they're nothing for you to succeed. The fact that you can actually sit down and write credible stories does not connote to any kind of recognition or respect from the society at all. No appreciation for the culture. And if you're wondering why the society seems to be fragmented and fractured, these are the reasons why. People are becoming apathetic. They're like, I don't belong here anymore. Does this connote to me? Does this relate to me? Am I part of this society? Am I treated as if I'm a respected member of this community? Just, it's, my daughter said I should have screenshot some of the things they said to me on Twitter yesterday. This is how they treat public figures. There's some guy referring to me asking me if I'm trans, another one saying I'm unemployable because I have an attitude because I choose to talk up about the racism that exists in the society. And I'm not the only one. There's so many other artists, there are black women who are starting enterprises. Did you know, for instance, that for most black artists, for most black educated blacks who are graduating from good universities, not HBCUs, not just HBCUs, they don't even get a job, or they get a job that pays them $10 an hour, who graduate from verifiable universities, they won't get the same job and they won't get paid. And that is not racism. That is the very essence of institutionalized racism. It's institutionalized because you practice it and don't even realize it. Because you're looking at me right now and saying, oh, and dismissively 
without realizing you just practice institutionalized racism. And you're probably saying, but Harriet, I watch you every day. But you don't even realize that it is so ingrained. It's been so much a part of your makeup and your social thought process. You don't even realize that that's what it is. And these are the contributing factors to why black women writers are not getting the recognition they deserve. There's a woman on my Instagram feed. She's Indian. She's Indian-American. And she's a thought leader, right? She's a public speaker. She speaks on the issues that she speaks on. She's well-qualified. She speaks on leadership. Because just like other women women of color, they face the same barriers in accessing top positions in companies because of color, right? She has, if she posts something that is thought-provoking, she gets 10 likes. But there's some girl posting pictures of her butt. She gets 1,500 likes. And I, and I think somebody tried to explain to me, like, well, you know, people are clicking what they like because what they want to see is they want to see pictures of women's bodies. I am saying to those of us who are writing, do not give up. Don't quit. Put your work out there. Make it your Twitter banner. Make it your Facebook banner. Don't stop. Don't quit. Put it out there. And guess what? Put your name on it. Make sure that you have a will and a trust in place so that nobody else can go take your work and put their name on it and it becomes their work and their legacy instead of yours. So even if you don't get the recognition in this lifetime, you might have nieces and nephews and children and cousins who will come up 50 years from now, 20 years from now. Let them claim the legacy that you left. Where I stop, my children will pick up the role. If I ever come to a stop, my children will pick it up. I don't plan to because I have many more books to write. I've written three already, and there are at least three more that are coming. It is amazing to me. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I have had three titles to write for the last four years, and I was like, I ain't doing nothing more. I became myself discouraged. I can only tell you what happened to me. I became discouraged because I was like, they're not buying it. No matter how much I promoted on social media, nobody was buying, nobody was biting. The mainstream media, some of the mainstream media even follow me on Twitter. They weren't biting because my face doesn't look white, because I am not white. Do you see what I'm saying? The racism that exists. And yes, go ahead and tell them. What are they going to do? They should feel ashamed, right? (laughs) I held up five fingers. (laughs) So, <laughs> right? But do you see what I mean? So after you've heard this, are you now going to look? That the whole point of this was to expose to you that there are black women who are writers. We write just like everybody else. We write fiction and nonfiction. We write crime drama. We write about eroticism. We write poetry. We write books that describe history. In fact, I have a friend who has a whole library in his house filled with black writers. He, in fact, introduced me to some black writers that I never knew of and whose works I'm enjoying. I have a book in my car that I'm enjoying it that talks about the Great Migration. It was written by a black journalist who is a Pulitzer. She won a Pulitzer Prize for writing that book. She was recognized by her peers. I have, written, I have another book that was written. So I have a whole community of black writers. This guy has a whole library of black writers, and I felt ashamed that I didn't know of their work. And I said, I have got to go out and support. So I started texting all my friends, like, you need to buy this book, you need to buy this book, you need to download this one, you need to get this one. Because we have to. So I'm asking, if you're black, you need to support black writers. Start by buying my books. They're available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, available for easy download. So if you can't wait for the book to be shipped to you, press download. It will be deposited in an electronic format on your phone. Buy my daughter's book of poetry, Alexandra McLennan, I Dream of Sugar. You'll love it, by the way. It's nice and easy to read. My friend, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, wrote a book called Died in the Wolf. Right? 
And there are many other black women writers out there. We should not be languishing in history and our works are lost. I'm a firm believer that if your works are not copyrighted, somebody else is going to take the credit for it someday. That, don't let that be you. Don't let that happen to you. Put your name on it. Register it. Go buy an ISBN number so it's recorded in the Library of Congress. I love that. I love knowing that my books are recorded in the Library of Congress, that for all eternity. Years ago, I became part of a class action lawsuit uh, when a group of writers had sued Google because Google had taken every book they could find and paid people in China to photocopy every page and uploaded it. My book was one of them, Musings of the Spirit. I was shocked. When they sent me an email, I was like, huh? Are you serious? That's how important it is to have your work noted. Because guess what? It's now in a library somewhere. The other day, I took the time out to go look at my books. They're translated into other languages of the world via Amazon. Go figure. But it's my name. And it is written by me. Do not give up. Do not quit. If you have an idea for a book, don't worry about the money. Do it anyhow. Make sure that you protect yourself. Your books are an asset. They're, your, they're part of your asset. They're part of your portfolio. We have been socialized to think that our intellect is worthless that we are not intelligent and we're not capable of forming intellectual thoughts. That's what we've been socialized to think because the intellectual thought reside only in white people. That's so they don't want you to proliferate, write the book, put it out there, put your name on it, publish it, protect your assets, make sure it's copyrighted. Send the money to buy an ISBN number. Make sure it's copyrighted and it has your name on it. Put your assets in a portfolio so that if anything happens to you, the people who you want to benefit from it are the ones who will. That's just good advice. But are you going to quit? No way. Are you going to continue writing? Yes. Write the vision. Write the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain. Write it and write it. The ideas come to you. Sit down and write the book. One day, I'm going to own a TV station. I'm going to own my own radio station. In fact, if you're a black woman writer, why don't you reach out to me? I'll feature your work on my pages, on my social media pages. I'll interview you. If you're a black writer, male or female, if you're a black artist, reach out to me. I will make sure that you get the credit and the recognition that you deserve. Why? If it had not happened to me, I would never have known. I would never have known what it felt like to be disregarded by a society who wants you to think that you're not. Years ago, I had a mentor. He's deceased now. He's, the, he, he, he's white, right? And uh, I went to see him when I was setting up my foundation, Exodus Foundation. We provide services to survivors of human trafficking, adult female survivors of human trafficking. And he, I was talking to him, and I was like, oh, da, 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 you know, just venting. That's what mentors do. They listen to you, and they guide you. And he said, first of all, I keep telling you I'm honored that you chose me as a mentor. I said, no, you chose me. He said, no, you chose me. He said, there's so many other people who would have felt thrilled that you even talked to them. And he said, Harriet, what you have done is incomparable. He said, you're a syndicated radio show host, and you have written books. He said, you are verifiable. You have achieved. If that, if he thought that I needed to be validated from a white person, I guess I heard it. But guess what? I had already thought that about myself. I wasn't seeking validation. I just wanted someone else who had walked the path to help shape me into the direction I wanted to go in. Do you see what I'm saying? Come. Write to me. Reach out to me. Let me know that you're out there. I will gladly feature your books. Next week, I'm going to feature one black woman writer. She's a lawyer. 
and a writer. Am I proud to call her my daughter? You bet I am. But I'm going to feature her work. She's a blogger. She writes copy. She writes legal briefs. She's amazing. It's amazing to me the power of her intellect. She uses her intellect to solve issues. Have you ever heard of her? Now you know her name. Her name is Alexandra McLennan. She's Alex the Wordsmith on Twitter and Instagram. Go look her up. I am going to feature her next week on my podcast. She's going to call in and she's going to tell you how to get started, what it felt like, how she wrote a book in her second year of law school with all the adversity that was going on. My, she had just lost her grandmother and with all the adversity, she still pushed through. She's a lawyer today because she didn't quit and she didn't give up. I am a published author today because despite the adversity, I didn't quit and I didn't give up. And I'm going to tell you this. I have highlighted to you what the problems are. I have found that if you stare at the problem long enough, you will never get started. So don't, don't look at the problem. Don't look at the problem. Don't look at the problem. Focus on what you are doing right now. Stay in the now. Focus on this. This is in front of you. Deal with this. The future is coming. It will take care of itself. Plan for it, but just in case, focus on this. You'll get there. When I was publishing my first book, Vision, if I had thought that I would never have achieved the recognition that I deserved, I'd never have done it. But I, that also meant that I couldn't show up anywhere to speak. You wouldn't consider me interesting because you wouldn't know anything about me. But I published Vision. Four years later, five years later, I did Musings of the Spirit. And two years later, I did Through the Fire. In a few more months, after the fire is coming out, then after that, the long goodbye, then after that, the third one, something good is going to happen. I am not going to be done. Don't be discouraged, right? Don't quit and don't give up. And if you're a writer out there and you're a female, reach out to me. And for those of you, you can go into your search engines and look up black women writers. You're going to be amazed at whose images you see. If you're on Instagram, look up black women writers. If you're on Twitter, look up black women writers. Just put it in Google. And you will be amazed at who you find. And just as quickly as you click on them, just download their books. Some of them sell their books for 99 cents as a download. It's amazing to me how young white girls are out there writing all kinds of things about sex and big breasts. And people are paying 99 cents a download for that stuff. Come on. (laughs) We can do better than that. Years ago, I was dating a guy and... Uh, I had been written about in a book by Dr. Shelley Hipsky. Dr. Shelley Hipsky is one of my virtual friends. We met on Facebook when she was hosting a TV show in, Pennsylvania, in uh, Pittsburgh. And Dr. Hipsky found me so inspiring that she had a project she was working on called Inspiring Women Around the World. And she wrote a book called 100 Inspiring Women. It's called Common Threads. And she found 100 inspiring women around the world. I am one of them. I'm featured in the book. She published a book. I bought a copy. I took it home and showed my mother. I opened to the pages where I was featured. My mother's hands shook. She couldn't say anything. I said, read it. It's my story. It's your story. It's my children's story. And she said, wow. And tears ran down her eyes. And then she said, I am so proud. That was the first time my mother ever told me she was proud of the things that I had done. I had to see it written. So I showed it to the guy I was dating. And he said, I have never dated anybody who is featured in a book. I never saw the book from him again. I tried to get it back. I'm like, give it to me. And he's like, no. He's like, no. He took it that morning and put it on his chest. He's like, no, 
I'm not giving it back to you. I never saw it again. Do you see what I'm saying? You ne- I said all of that to say, you never know who you're inspiring. You never know whose lives you have touched by what you have written. You would think that you're just telling a story, but you don't know how you kept someone from the brink, how you prevented someone from committing suicide, how you prevented someone from feeling like they should give up. You've got to tell your story. Write the vision and make it plain. And don't quit. My name is Harriet Kemmerk. It's Friday morning. Join me again on this podcast. You can hear more about the subjects we talk about. Visit my page. Visit my profile. Inside of my profile is the link to Spotify. You can download and subscribe to our podcast. It's called Down to Earth. Thank you. Make sure you subscribe. Raven, you follow me all the time on YouTube. Have you subscribed to my channel on Spotify? So Spotify is kind of universal. So if you have a Google phone, you have Google Podcasts. If you have an Apple phone, you have Apple Podcasts, and you also have Spotify. So anywhere there's a podcast platform, I'm on it, <laughs> right? You can also find some of my early works on SoundCloud, believe it or not. Yeah, we've been at it for a while. Thank you so much, everybody. It's Friday morning. Join us again this evening when we talk with uh, Chantel Thomas. Chantel is a singer from Houston. And she's also a radio show host in, in, in Houston. So we're going to talk with Chantel about some of her works and what she's doing. Make sure that you go to my page, HarrietCamus.com, and visit us on the web, Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, where you can find more of her works. And while you're searching, look up I Dream of Sugar by Alexandra McLennan. Download it. It's a quick download. Right? Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you, Raven. See you later, right? Tell your friends about us. Right. Good job. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. Make sure you join us again. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.